Why is it the same repetitive mistakes continue to rob salespeople of more commission checks, regardless of industry, size of company, or region of the globe? These same inhibitors are holding us back from reaching our full potential. Amongst many industry awards, Ian Selby achieved the accolade of top salesperson in the world at Apple. And in this podcast, he will discuss the issues that sales professionals encounter from his own experiences, confessing to the problems he has endured and how he overcame them, giving the benefit of his wisdom to everyone listening who work in the world of sales. To help you, he will reveal strategies to overcome the issues hurting salespeople and helping you reach new levels of sales success. Confessions of a Sales Pro. Lessons, more wins. With your host, Ian Selby. Welcome to Confessions of a Sales Pro. This week I have a very special guest, a gentleman by the name of Steve Gelda, Chief Revenue Accelerator and Co-Founder of Ignite Selling in Austin, Texas. Steve started his sales career right out of college, selling coffee machines for Harris 3M, later Lanyard Worldwide. He spent 10 years growing from sales rep to sales manager to district manager and finally regional vice president of outsourcing. In 1997, Steve went to work for a gentleman by the name of Neil Rackman. Now, we've all probably heard of Neil before, the creator of Spin Selling. And then in 2002, he started his own company, helping Fortune 1000 companies accelerate revenue to improve process, skills, tools, and knowledge. Today, Ignite Selling builds competitive simulations to help salespeople learn how to think and execute more strategically in their own competitive sales markets. Steve and his business partner, Kevin Jones, wrote their first book, Premeditated Selling, in 2012, and they have their second book coming out in December of this year. It's very exciting. This week, we're going to focus the topic on the critical question, why did you lose your last sale? Now, Ignite Selling performs win-loss analysis for their clients every year, and the 78% of the salespeople they speak to say they lost on price, when in reality, nearly all of them were simply outsold. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. It's great to be here with you today. Thanks for taking the time. I know you're really busy, and you've got your, your new book coming out, and uh, lots and lots of uh, work. We're, we're we're all getting fired up for you know post pandemic life back to normal, and you know get out there and, and let's find win some new customers and all that fun exciting stuff that I know you and I both love. Before I jump into anything with you, can, can you just shed some light? Before we start, like what can you tell us about the new book? That's coming out later this year. Yes, we're really excited about the new book. It really incorporates a lot of our research and work that we've done with our clients over the last four or five years. And what it is, it's taking our existing book, Premeditated Selling, and really kind of giving a new facelift on it. With uh, the client work that we've been doing in several different industries, from the healthcare market to the financial market to the tech market to the distribution marketplaces, we really learned a lot about uh, some of the more common challenges and assumptions that sales representatives are making. And so this book really is going to tell the story of two salespeople. One is kind of an average performer, and one is a top performer. And we, we, we're going to be telling the story about how do these individuals tackle similar 
business issues. And we want people to kind of explore, explore about, are they more like this average performer or are they really more of this top performer? And the reality of it is, is that the answer is yes. We ebb and flow between these two individuals on a regular basis. But what we really want people to walk away with is, how do I do more things that, lead, that are leading to being a top performer on a more consistent basis? How do I challenge the assumptions? How do I think a little bit more critically before I act? And that's what this book's going to provide. We're calling it a field guide for accelerating pipeline revenue. And so we're hoping that's going to provide a field toolkit. Yeah. Yeah, a field toolkit. I I love how you said that. And, you know, I think you nailed it right away. Like, it's about consistency. And you're right. Probably we've got a bandwidth to our performance. And we're we're never always on our game 100% of the time. But if we can move the needle up, and achieve more of those yeah. consistent things, behaviors and actions, it, it, the outcome, the performance uh, w- will speak for itself, I'm sure. So Steve, Absolutely. why don't we jump into a question for you? I, I've been dying to, to find sure. out what your answer to this will be because you, know, you, know, you said it in the, in the intro, the focus, answering the question, why did you lose that sale? Your research, mm. as stated, says that 78% of salespeople you interview tell you that it was all about price. When in reality, they just got outsold. Their competition simply just beat them. Can you tell us more about your research? Yes, as you stated in the opening, is that we conduct win-loss analyses with many of our clients. And these win-loss analyses uh, are, are a rather simple process. We go through and we ask a series of questions to the salesperson that say in this case, maybe lost a sale, and then we'll get access to their customer, typically an advocate inside their account, and we'll get permission to interview them, and then we'll typically go usually three or four deep inside that account, and we ask the same consistent questions. And the questions that we start off with when we're talking to the salesperson is, why do you think you lost? And then they'll tell us that, you know, as we, as we stated, 78% of the time they say we, lo- we lost because of price. Now, that will be defined several different ways. Our competitor bundled the solutions differently than us, than, than we did. Um, their lower cost of ownership was lower than ours or whatever. It will be defined in several different ways. But in essence, what they're saying is that their competitor had a lower cost of doing business than they did. Therefore, the, the, uh, the customer chose to do business with the competitor. But then we take it a little bit step further and we ask another really important question. We say, other than price or other than cost, what were the other three or four critical decision criteria the customer was using to compare you against the competition? And this is where you start getting some silence. All of a sudden, salespeople start recognizing that I don't know. I don't know the other decision criteria the customer is using to compare us. Now, more experienced salespeople or salespeople that are maybe a little bit more stubborn or egotistical as many of us are and because we're in sales, we have a big ego. We're going to come up with an answer to somebody who's asking that question. What were the other decision criteria the customer was using to compare you against the competition? And so the sales representative will say, well, it was ease of use of the product or it was the ability to provide just-in-time inventory, or is the post-sales support. So they'll give us some other criteria, and then we'll say, terrific. 
how did the customer rank that from most important to least important? Again, you hear this pause. Because frankly, the salesperson doesn't know. But then again, if they still give us an answer, they'll say, oh, it's price followed by ease of use, followed by just-in-time inventory, followed by training and post-sales support. We'll say, great. The next question we ask is, were there multiple influencers involved in this decision or was there just one? They'll say, oh, there was multiple people involved. Terrific. Whose decision criteria was that? You just gave me a list and you ranked it right. for me. Yeah. Who's influencing? Whose decision criteria was this? Was this the CFO's criteria? Was this the chief or the director of the department's criteria? Was this the technician that, that uses the equipment's criteria? Whose criteria was this? Again, you hear silence. Now, we're not doing this to catch them or to or catch them off guard or to make them or to embarrass them. But what we are simply trying to demonstrate is that maybe one simple factor is understanding the decision criteria or the lack of understanding the decision criteria might be why you lost. You didn't have a firm grasp on that. I, I bang on the money. I, I, I violently agree with you on that <laughs> completely. Uh, I, 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 with a thousand salespeople, I, I've had the pleasure of working with training and coaching through the years. I find that it's lazy selling. A salesperson mm. might befriend someone within the account, and hopefully they're at least an influencer, better yet a decision maker. And they sell all only to that one person. Here's our value proposition. Yeah. Here's what we can do. Here's our pricing. Here's a proposal. Here's, here's the ROI. And they hope that salesperson will sell it for them to the other three, five you know, people involved in collaborating to mm-hmm. make the decision. Apart from getting into the details of who's got the criteria and who's got the heaviest weight within the criteria of, of the people on the team, right? So, oh, it, you, you've nailed it on the head with that one. Uh, you know, well, Ian, I think, you know, the, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I think we, no, where you're go going, ahead. I mean, <laughs> that is kind of another, another common reason as to why people lost. And you hit it square on the head and you simply said, it's lazy selling because they only go to the person that they have access to. Now, if you ask most salespeople, you know, is there more than one person engaged or involved in this decision? The answer most likely, if they're in a complex sale, is going to say yes. And you ask a follow-up question, how many of these people have you sat down and met with to truly understand why making a change from what they're currently doing today is important? And the come up with the real answer is that, you know, I haven't really had those meetings, but yes, Mike so has. Been too I met with Mike. They've been out correct. Of oh, I couldn't get access Mike to them. Mike right. tells me they all think the same as me, right? So yeah. right. right, it is lazy selling, right. Steve. I, I it, it's call it what it is, and, and maybe it's lazy, and and it might not even be because of a lack of uh, initiative. It might be they don't have the tool set, the the skill set to go into those areas, right? So that, that could be another thing we're, we're uncovering here. Like, here's a question. Well, we're finding that what out for sure. Yeah, we're finding that Absolutely. out for sure, Ian, is that the people, it's not a lack of desire or a lack of interest because they all say it's important, but they often become they paralyzed win, right? they because win. they don't, they want to win, absolutely. But they lack the, they lack the tools. Um, and, 
that's kind of reasons why we created these simple two by two matrices. One is called the influencer snapshot. The influencer snapshot is a tool that helps us not just identify who's important and who loves us and who doesn't, but it's really about making sure that we have a plan to, to change that picture in our favor. If we have people that are adversaries that don't support us, well, we can't just accept that. We have to have a proactive plan to do something about it. And same thing with the competitive snapshot. It's not just good enough to know what the decision criteria is because if, in fact, we know ahead of time that, say, price or inventory can, or just-in-time inventory is important to them and they perceive us to be weak, we can't just accept it. We have to do something about it. So having Absolutely. simple tools like our influencer or competitive snapshots are tools to which challenge the critical thinking and the assumptions that they might be making. Absolutely. And, and, and you can't, I, I like to say, well, my sales strategy is some salespeople are my strategy do that. Well, you know what? You can't do strategy until you've done analysis, right? So if you've done the analysis <laughs> with the team that makes the decision, now you know where you're at. Are you winning or are you losing and with whom and why? And with that information, yeah. now you can apply a strategy. My rule of thumb is if I'm winning the deal, I'm going to narrow the argument. If I'm losing the deal, I'm going to broaden the argument. I need to change some minds. And I might need some coaches within the account to help me, you know, peddle that influence and move the needle more into my direction. So here's a question. Well, for you. I love that statement. Yeah, go ahead. Well, you can have it. It's yours. Take it. <laughs> what are... No, go ahead with the question. What are three things a salespeople could do to reduce their odds of getting beat by a lower cost solution provider? I mean, it happens every day to salespeople. They're out there running yeah. and gunning and, oh, I lost some price. Ah, oh, again, price. What, what, what are three things they could actually do, Steve? You know, I, I, I think that the three things that I could give to you, I think also need to be challenged by a peer or a manager. Um, when you answer these questions. But I think one thing that you can do is to step forward simply make sure that you understand what is the customer's decision criteria that they're using to compare you against the, um, against the competition and what's their perception of you in, uh, about your ability to meet that criteria. So if, in fact, service or ease of use is an important decision criteria, that's important to know. But knowing what's that customer's perception of your ability to provide that service or to provide a product that's easy to use, that's important to know too. So step number one is to really understand the decision criteria and how that customer perceives you. Number two is to truly understand that not everybody in that client organization is going to be a advocate of yours to the point that they're willing to take action and make a change now. You might have some people that are great supporters and want to see a change, but you're going to have other people who say, hey, I like what you're talking about, Ian, but I don't think we need to make a change on this until next year. And so mm. it's good to kind of have that mapped out so you understand, A, who are the influencers involved and what's their level of urgency to make a change now and why or why not. And I think the third thing that I would put down here is to have somebody challenge your assumptions. We're going to gather information from a customer. We're going to begin to formulate opinions based upon our experiences in sales. 
having a coach or a peer that knows how to ask questions that challenges the assumptions you might be making might be exactly what you need in order to ensure that you're going to take that one additional step, one additional action that's going to prevent you from losing that sale. Those would probably be the three things I would come up with. Those are, those are brilliant. I, and you, you nailed the word. I really like what you said is perception. It's, it's, mm. it's great to know, but what do they think of you? If they were scoring you on a scale of one to 10, what would they give you versus what they would give the competitor? The customer's right. perception is the salesperson's reality. We've got to be able to yeah. filter that. And what's wrong with coming out and asking? Right? I, I don't be shy. We, we've got to be bold. We don't not arrogant and pushy, but assertive no. with with, with uh, information. Um, and and some salespeople are shy when it comes to asking some of those harder questions to get the real truth of the matter. Because without a, a fully complete set of analysis. We're, we're dancing in the dark. There is no strategy, right? So it's, it's well, there's it's no doubt about that. that. Yeah. It's, I it's think so that it's important. so important to, to echo what you just said there. I think that when salespeople recognize that they're not trying to sell a product, what they're simply trying to do is help a customer solve a business issue and solve that issue now, things begin to change. All of a sudden now I've earned the right to ask questions because they've told me that they have a concern that they need to address and they understand what the implications, the consequences of not addressing that now. And your job is to help that customer succeed in their own company or succeed in achieving the business metrics that their department is being held accountable to. The moment salespeople begin to recognize that my job isn't to sell fill in the blank widgets. My job is to demonstrate and understand how that widget helps that, help that particular customer that I'm talking to solve or achieve the success that they're looking for. Solve a problem or achieve success that they're looking for. So well said, Steve. Get, and, and I like to think, let's get on the customer side of the desk. Let's approach the, yeah. the, the, the problem, the challenge as a team, so that you're putting their best interests first, not your own about getting a sale. The other thing that salespeople that, that struggle with price, there's a simple formula. And, and most senior level decision makers use this formula to, to decide which way to go. And it's B equals B minus C. Value equals benefit minus cost. The formula is not D equals C. It's not value equals cost. So what is your, what is the business impact of your value proposition on your customer's business? And how could you prove that? And for things like references can, can, can play a huge role in, in removing the risk and tilting the needle towards this is the right way to go and we feel good about making this decision now. Completely agree with you. How do you know whose decision criteria matters the most? Now, some salespeople, well, you know, I'm talking to the top person, it must be them, right? Well, what's your experience tell us on that, Steve? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that when you ask who has the highest level of influence, and that's one of the questions right. in our win-loss analysis that we ask, you know, what we often will hear is uh, an answer that is rated or given to us based upon the title of the individuals. More, mm -hmm. Most recently, we were working with a, um, with a sales rep in a, that we were doing this win-loss analysis with, and sales representative lost, and it was a solution they were selling into the OR of the hospital. And when we asked 
that question, who had the highest level, give me the top four people who had the highest level of influence in this decision. Uh, they gave us, and, and in order, they said, well, the top person is going to be the, the uh, vice president of finance in the hospital, followed by the department uh, of surgery, or, and then the director of OR, and then the chief nursing officer. And uh, we kind of listened to what they had to say, but we went back and we started talking to the customer. And we started with their greatest advocate out of those four people, which was the director of OR. What we end up finding out is that this particular salesperson assumed that those are the top four people involved, when in fact, there were other people that were involved in making this decision that even had lower influence and that had um, lower titles. So they were nurses. And the reason it became so important for these nurses, because ease of use was such a critical component during this procedure. And if, in fact, the procedure was not well adopted and um, nurses agreed that it was easy to use, it wasn't going to get done. And if the product wasn't used, the OR director was never going to be able to reduce the surgical time. And the OR director's job was to reduce the time of procedure. And so what we come to find out is that other people that were involved in this were some nurses. And then we asked them, how do you rank that? Well, guess where the vice president of finance fell? Highest title. Fell at the, yeah, by at the very bottom. Up top, as your chart would say, but what was your analysis? Yeah. It came back as he was, he had the least amount of influence in this decision. Right. Because this particular product, if it was used properly enough, was asking to save the OR time. And that's all the VPS of finance really wanted. Was if I can save OR time, I could go and save money. But there were other people involved, such as the chief of surgery, the OR director, the chief nursing officer, that were being held accountable to those metrics. So as long as those metrics were being met, the vice president of finance didn't really care. So the VP of finance had the least amount of influence on whether or not the OR was going to start adopting this product or not. But yet the sales representative was thinking that the Vice President of Finance was the most important. Now, don't get me wrong. VP of Finance was an influential person, but there were six people involved. And that particular title happened to be the least amount of influence. But the sales representative, because they were told, you got to go to the VP of Finance, you got to sell value at the, at the VP of Finance level, you know, that's where they really spent a lot of their time. And they missed the opportunity by bringing in some other lower level titled individuals to get their voice, get their voice heard. And they lost, they lost that opportunity. They lost the deal. Their strategy was upside down. It's maybe another yeah, way to look at that. You know, see, what's fascinating, and I, I'm really intrigued by um, your competitive snapshot tool, because th this is like the compass to, to learn mm -hmm. from on an ongoing basis. Correct behaviors, correct strategies, and, you know, have a broader view of, of the challenge of, of being one of those top performers like you're talking about. What are the results of salespeople that you've applied this competitive snapshot tool with? What, what's happened in, in, in your outcomes? Yeah, when we have uh, applied the you know, competitive snapshot, and we've done this now with hundreds of companies globally, and tens of thousands of sales representatives have used this tool, what we come to find out is that we are able to accelerate that sales process simply by understanding the decision criteria that matter most and, and what, what's the priority of those the decision criteria and how does the customer perceive you. If you can figure that out early enough in the sales process, 
you avoid opportunities from getting stalled because you end up addressing the things that matter most to that customer. So we have found that we can accelerate the sales pipeline in the upwards of 35 plus percent when in fact people take the time, identify the decision criteria, build their sales strategy to address that criteria. In other words, minimize the areas to which they're, they're weak on or to change that customer's opinion or to add criteria that the customer hasn't given consideration to and really meet the, the, the criteria, sell to the criteria, um, you'll find out that you can actually accelerate that issue. Now, you, you can't get to the criteria until you understand that there's a need. So you've got to do that up front, build out the need, all those kinds of things. Once the customer says, hey, I'm interested in making a change, great, what's the criteria you're using to make that change? Once you, once you shift from needs, because now there's a need to change to the, to the criteria that they're using to make that change, all of a sudden you can accelerate that decision process at a rate of 30, 35 plus percent faster. So what salesperson listening to this podcast right now would not want to increase their, 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 their sense of pipeline flow, your overall performance and timing by 35 plus percent. I, I, I know my hands up in the air. Uh, I'm sure many of our listeners are as well. See fascinating stuff. It's just, very, very intriguing. So, Steve, I want to again thank you. My guest this week on Confessions of a Sales Pro has been Steve Gelda from Austin, Texas, uh, co-founder of Ignite Selling. Great new book coming out in December, so uh, be, be sure to look out for that. Steve, thanks for being on the show. But how can our listeners today reach out to get a hold of you? What would be the best way? You know, the, the best way is just to hit me up on the website and hit, hit the contact form at igniteselling.com or you can look me up at, on LinkedIn at Steve, um, just look up Steve Gilda. That's G-I-E-L-D-A. So uh, Steve Gilda, Ignite Selling on LinkedIn or simply our website, igniteselling.com. Steve, once again, I thank you very much, sir. Thank you so much for having me on board with you guys. It's great to be working with you and uh, you continue doing the great work. You've got a lot of great podcast uh, guests that join your podcast, and I'm just honored to be uh, part of this with you. So thanks for inviting me. Uh, thank you, Steve. Thanks again. And thank you for listening to Confessions of a Sales Pro. If you have found this episode informative and helpful, we would be honored and appreciative if you would share this podcast with other great salespeople like yourself. And we look forward to you joining us for all new episodes weekly, every Thursday. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. If you'd like us to help you grow your sales commissions, visit us at salesmentoryou.com. Confessions of a Sales Pro. Lessons, more wins. With Ian Selby.